This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's start by talking about microgreens. You've heard about them, but have you gotten to know these healthy little bundles of fun? Hamama Grow Kits introduces you to a variety of microgreens that are packed with nutrients and easy for anyone to grow in just three simple steps. No dirt or sunlight necessary. Before you know it, you'll be harvesting these mighty little bursts of flavor and adding them to salads, smoothies, or your favorite recipes. Learn more at hamama.com. Use code word GROW and get $10 off your first order. Hamama, making serious nutrition seriously easy. From America's farm-to-fork capital in Sacramento, I'm Amber Stott, chief food genius and founder of the Food Literacy Center, a nonprofit that inspires kids to eat their veggies and understand why. Raising Kale will chronicle the stories of food thought leaders that include chefs, farmers, doctors, leading experts, connecting them back to the communities that are building resilience around a fractured food system. Today, our food is linked to obesity, climate change, workers' rights, and so much more. It's time we understand the story behind the food we eat and the impact our food choices have on our health, the environment, and our economy. It's time to start raising kale. No amount of food is ever going to solve hunger. Because ultimately, there is more than enough food in this country to go around for all the people who need it. But if we feed someone today and they're still hungry tomorrow, we have to look at this underlying issue of economic opportunity, poverty, and how do we ensure that those that are waiting in the food line have the means to support themselves. Rates of both poverty and hunger are rising in America. The statistics are dire. According to a report by Brookings, the Great Recession may have ended in 2009, but despite the subsequent jobs rebound and declining unemployment rate, the number of people living below the federal poverty line in the United States remained stuck at recession-era record levels. As the pandemic struck early last year, poverty rates have grown even higher. According to a recent article in Forbes, the poverty rate in the United States surged from 9.3% in June to 11.7% in November, creating the biggest increase in a single year since the government began tracking poverty in 1960. The news just doesn't get any better. A Northwestern University study in June revealed that food needs have doubled nationally. For households with children, food insecurity tripled. One nonprofit in San Diego, California, Kitchens for Good, has created a dual solution for this double-edged problem. Train community members who are food insecure in culinary careers. By training them for better jobs, their families will no longer suffer from poverty and food insecurity. For every person they train and help find employment, 
This is one less family living in poverty and going without food. In this episode, we'll hear from one of the nonprofit's founders, Aviva Paley, as well as one of their trainees, Tony Estrada. Tony tells me that his life has never been a fairy tale. But when he started the training at Kitchens for Good, his life was transformed. Aviva Paley is the co-founder and senior director at Kitchens for Good, a nonprofit that helps people move out of poverty through training in culinary careers. She's a kale raiser who started this nonprofit before she was even 30. She's received recognition from Forbes and others for her innovative work to combat hunger. Aviva, welcome to Raising Kale. Thanks for having me. Before we start, for those who've never heard of Kitchens for Good, tell us a little bit about your nonprofit's mission and what you do. Yeah, so Kitchens for Good's mission is to transform lives and nourish communities. And we do that through a apprenticeship program that works with men and women who have been labeled as unemployable after histories of incarceration, homelessness, and foster care. And we give them the knife skills and the life skills to uh, to really launch a meaningful career. And as they're learning those skills, um, they're also tackling issues of food waste and hunger by taking thousands of pounds of rescued surplus produce and turning it into hundreds of thousands of healthy meals for hungry San Diegans. I love this mission, and I want to dive deeper into it, but I first kind of want to get to know who's Aviva, and you know, tell us a little bit about those early days. I'm just curious about your passion for community work. Uh, where does that come from? Did you have some early role models? Were you always involved in nonprofit work? Yeah, um, I would I would say not always. Um, I I was an artist for many years and went to art school, which, as you know, is the perfect pedigree for starting a nonprofit. <laughs> um, and um, I started kind of learning more and more about the food world, um, first through working um, at an urban farm, then through slow food, the slow food movement, and kind of just getting deeper and deeper, and really saw food as this nexus that can tackle so many of society's biggest issues, mm. from from the environment to um, to economics to our social fabric and gathering, our um, and just so many different angles of our society have kind of this crossroads through food, and I just loved that it could unite and nourish and uplift. Um, and so while I was really interested in, in kind of these models that could take value in things like surplus food and turn it into meals, um, I really started to understand that no amount of food is ever going to solve hunger. Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately, you know, there is more than enough food in this country to go around for all the people who need it. But if, but if we feed someone today and they're still hungry tomorrow, um, we have to look at this underlying issue of, of economic opportunity, poverty, and how do we ensure that those that are waiting in the food lines have the means to support themselves? Absolutely. Um, so that's really where um, my, my real passion lied in, in starting Kitchens for Good is going beyond just transforming surplus food into meals, but really helping to shorten the food line itself by lifting people out of poverty. And I think this is something that people often forget, right? That um, if you feed somebody 
today, they are going to be hungry again tomorrow. And mm-hmm. that upstream thinking of let's, let's end this for good. Um, that's a really appealing way, but you, you're right. You do have to tackle it um, by tackling poverty and, and it gets you outside the food stream and into the people stream. Right. So talk a little bit about more of those early days, you know, how did you, you know, what were some of your early steps that, um, that you took? I mean, if you look at the data, only about half of nonprofit startups make it. You started this uh, in 2015, so f- only five years ago, and you're already over $4 million as a nonprofit. I think only something like 33% of nonprofits even make it over the 500000 mark. So, you know, talk about how the decisions you were making to create that really strong start. Well, all really good questions, and I think this Whenever we look at these questions, it's not just a decision that Aviva made or Chuck made or Jen made. I think it's really a a, a testament to a broader team and board that helps us helps us make a lot of really good decisions from the beginning. Um, and and so, talk about that team. Uh, who else is on your team? Because yeah. you're a co-founder, so you had others mm-hmm. at your side. Yeah. So um, I started working on this about six and a half years ago, and I was. 23 years old, um, and was originally working at a foundation and was really interested in seeing this. Um, I had seen this model of this kind of social enterprise kitchen that tackled unemployment and food waste and hunger all through one kitchen. I had seen this model um, in, in dozens of other cities across America, like BC Central Kitchen, Fair Start, LA Kitchen. And when I moved to San Diego, um, I was struck that no such kitchen existed that was providing these services. And so it originally started out as what I called a research and feasibility study to kind of see if what the opportunity is to fill this much needed gap in San Diego. Um, and through that process, I met my co-founder, Chuck Samuelson, who, as he calls it, is a recovering chef um, <laughs> and was has spent a lifetime in the culinary and hospitality industry, owning and running restaurants. Um, and he had just started working on this initiative and didn't have as much of the expertise in the nonprofit side, the programs or the fundraising. And so after about six months of researching, I decided to join forces with Chuck and try and get this initiative off the ground. That's great. And um, one of, I'd say, our our keys to success was that after about a year of kind of um, doing our research, looking for kitchens, fundraising, we um, were able to attract Jennifer Gilmore, who is now our CEO, to join our team. She spent about um, 10 years leading the leading Feeding San Diego um, here in uh, the major food bank in the region. Um, And she was really attracted to our vision for not just providing people with food, but getting them a job. Mm -hmm. And so with the three of us, we were able to eventually secure our first kitchen um, here at the Jacob Center. And we really lucked out in that we found this kitchen that had been operating as a catering and events enterprise. Um, and after many years of this catering enterprise losing money, they wanted another organization to come and take over the lease. So we were that lucky organization 
And so overnight, we went from a team of three to 36. <laughs> we absorbed all of that catering staff, all of their clients, their whole kitchen. Um, and then we're basically tasked with right-sizing this catering enterprise and layering on our various programs into it. So it was a bit of an unusual start to kind of catapult into that size and scale of an organization. Um, but a lot of it had to do with kind of doing all of that research and, and relationship building beforehand so that when we were handed this amazing opportunity, we could really run with it. That's amazing. And, and congratulations, because it's just such a feat to have accomplished all of that. And, you know, you're, you're continuing to grow and expand, um, you know, talk about some of the programs and talk about maybe the story of one of your trainees, paint a picture um, so that we can really understand how this, this works. Yeah. So at the core of what we do is our apprenticeship program. And Our apprenticeship program recruits men and women who are overcoming histories of incarceration, homelessness, and foster care, and we put them in what we call a life skills and life skills training program, and it's a 20-month program with the first three months beginning in our kitchen, and what I mean by life skills and life skills is that we know that you could be the best cook in the entire world. But if you're showing up late, if you're getting in fights with your coworkers, if you're talking back to your employer, you're still fired. Mm-hmm. So we focus a lot of our curriculum on those, those pieces of not only how to get a job, but how to keep the job. Things like communication skills, conflict resolution, accountability, teamwork. Um, so we do about two hours a day of those life skills and workforce readiness skills classes. And then we spend about six hours a day um, working in the kitchen on our culinary skills, the knife skills side. And our students are learning um, every, all of the basics involved in becoming a cook, a prep cook, or a line cook. And then they practice those skills by taking all that surplus food and preparing it into, um, this year we'll prepare over 275,000 meals for hunger relief organizations. And what what I really love about this part of the program is that for so many of our apprentices, they have been on that other end of the food line. They have experienced hunger. um, And it's really meaningful to them to now be able to give back. It's also really meaningful to them. Many of them, you know, have really um, internalized these negative stereotypes as being drains on communities, as being criminals or felons or all of these negative labels that they carry with them. And so now to be in this position to be seen as a community hero, someone who's feeding their community and giving back to their community can be really, really transformative for our apprentices. Um, And so then when our apprentices finish that three-month training, we help them get jobs in the restaurant and hospitality industry. And we continue to work with them over the next 17 months as they grow in their skills and their wages. One of Kitchens for Goods trainees is Tony Estrada. He started the program in March 2020, right as the pandemic was also starting. His story of perseverance and passion will bring you joy. I work for a business called Fresh Creations. It's based out of Escondido, California. 
Um, basically, she runs the all plant-based milk production, and her business her business is growing a lot. And every week I've been there, it's just been growing and growing even more. People love her food. She's is an awesome chef, Chef Nicole. So we just saw on the menu this week we had um, black bean roll tacos Ooh. with cauliflower rice and a, and a and a spinach salad. We had um, overnight oats for uh, like a breakfast startup. We had a raspberry blueberry smoothie. We had this butternut squash with puttanesca sauce. Well, I watched uh, Chef Sony make it one time, or maybe it was Chef Ryan, and I made it myself this time, but uh, it was delicious, and I was so proud of myself. Oh, so describe that dish. Sounds amazing. Um, so it has eggplant. It has artichoke. I mean, there's um, my, my chef said it was really, really good. Uh, I'm very proud of it. Awesome. Well, you're making me hungry, that's for sure. <laughs> Feel free to check out our, our, our on the website the the, milk, the menu changes every week. Yeah, and we can share that link um, on our podcast website as well. So let's start at the beginning. You got this cool job that you have now with the plant based uh, meal company through Kitchens for Good. So talk about how you found Kitchens for Good and why you wanted to start that program. My whole life um, hasn't been a fairy tale. It's, I've had a very rough life. And I've always loved to cook. But cook, cook, cooking has always been very therapeutic for me. I, I feel like there's no more, there's no better joy in life than to feed someone nourishing, delicious food and then say, oh, that was delicious. That's, that's, I love that. Just like a natural high that I just want more and more and more of. Um, <laughs> so um, I was living in Chicago since 2015. And I had a really bad falling out with the people out there. And um, I came back home in 2019. And for a while, I was in a real stagnant place. Didn't really know what I was going to do. I, I have 20 plus years of retail experience. I just didn't want to do that. So I was in a really, and honestly, a very depressed state. I really didn't know where I was going, where I was, what my life was going to be. Um, nothing really to be proud of, to be honest. And one morning, um, I got a text from my best friend. And she was watching um, Channel 10 News and they did a story on Kitchens for Good. And the night before I had just, I had made um, spaghetti for her um, and her and her coworker for her, for their lunch. And um, she, uh, she said, Hey, look at this thing. And I, I said, I just, I brushed it off. I'm like, Oh, you know, whatever. So it was one night, a couple of weeks later that I was up all night just thinking and overthinking and, you know, and just thinking about a bunch of stuff. And I said, Hey, let me just look at, open up this, you know, the site she sent me. And I opened it up. And there's an application. I said, you know what? Let me just fill it out, just for you know, just for see what happens. You know, it didn't hurt. And then I got a call back the next week from Katrina, who was their old coordinator. And I, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. But she basically said, um, "We're choosing you. You have to be committed and willing to do this. You know, this program." Um, at first, I was apprehensive because, to be honest with you, I've never really finished something in my whole life. I, I um had like had a lot of step you know step backs and stuff and so I said you know what I'm gonna do it so I went and I bought I bought some uh, <laughs> some uh, slip resistant shoes and I said I'm just gonna do it and um we started March first um in Vista how how did it make you feel to be accepted into the program you know I I was overwhelmed but also there was a part of me that was still like okay am I really unable to do this am I can I do this? You know, self-doubt has been a very, something that's plagued me for my, most of my life. So I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I did. Then, uh, then COVID hit. Oh. COVID hit. We, we were in class for two and a half weeks with Chef Sony at Moonlight Theater in Vista. And um, COVID hit and we stopped. Mm. 
And I immediately, okay, immediately thought, okay, there's another block in the road for me. I'm, I'm not gonna, this is it. I'm not, I mean, it's taken something I really want taken away from me again. Mm. So, um, we started doing the um, front of house stuff um, on through Zoom um, in July. And Describe that because some of our listeners might not know what front of house means. What does that mean? Well, front of house is um, basically the customer service part. Um, servers, uh, hosts, expediters, you know, they're the ones that actually are the kind of the face of the, you know, of the, of your establishment. And then back of house is, you know, the kitchen staff, the chefs, the sous chefs, you know, the softwares, all that. So yeah. you were learning the front of house, you know, the customer service-y stuff on Zoom. Yes. Okay. And we finished. I did 110 hours. Wow. And we finished our we finished our book. There was about 20 people in our in our original class, but only 10 of us actually stood and stood. Um, but still, we needed the, in the kitchen training, you know, with the with the chef, you know, because you can't teach how to, you know, fillet a fish or how to do a bat bat in a cut with <laughs> over Zoom, you know. So yeah. I live in North County, and um, an opportunity came up where they were going to start a class as a beginner at the Jacob Center down in San Diego. I don't have a car, so then again, so I was like, okay, another roadblock in the road, you know, uh, this is, you know, yeah. and. I said, you know what? I'm determined to do this. So September 1st, in class started. I will leave my house at 5:50 in the morning wow. to make it there by 8:30 in the morning. I did that for three months. Taking public transportation, I take it. Yes. Yeah. And the first day of class, I just knew that this was for me. I knew that this is what I want to do. You know, when you have a good pair of jeans and you don't <laughs> want to let go of those good pair of jeans. <laughs> yeah. This is how I felt wearing these pairs. And I can go on and on about, you know, how I felt being there. Uh, it just was, it was life-changing. It really was life-changing. I don't want to, you know, sound cliche or mushy, but I, I, it was very life-changing for me. What were some of the things that you were experiencing and that were, you know, shooting off stars for you? I mean, the amount of support that I felt from the coordinators and you know, the executive chefs and everyone in the kitchen and, you know, in the office of Kitchens for Good, they treated me like I was family. And and at first I was a little like uncomfortable with it because they were so nice and so <laughs> like, help. and they would tell are you doing? And they noticed, oh, your hair is comfortable. Like every day, because like, you have to wear your chef's hat, but see, I use this really strong glue <laughs> or this, so not gorilla glue. But, um, <laughs> you know, and I just, the amount of support that I, found with these with these people in this organization and this nonprofit was just so rewarding and so romantic. And to this day I just I gush about kittens for good. I I love them. So the the people were amazing. What did you learn that first day? So the first day was you know baby steps we we uh my um the the chef Sony was was our teacher, instructor, chef instructor and um she didn't take any flat. You had to really give her all. You know, she pushed me she pushed all of us to really, you know, learn culinary, culinary math and learn how to make those perfect, precise cuts and mm. really learn how to make a hollandaise sauce. There was no, oh, I, I just can't do this. No, it was never, that wasn't accepted. You're going to, you're going to learn how to do this. Nice. And even during school, I didn't really re- think I was going to be able to do it, but I did. That's fantastic. So you had a very hands-on experience with people who are cheerleading you and um and it's covid so you guys are masked up i assume um and and you're cooking and what are what's happening with the meals you're cooking as you're training so we we did meal production there it's kind of similar what i'm doing now um for project nurse she uh you know did meal packaging 
of services for a lot of different people in the community, you know, providing real health and nutritious meals to people in need, you know, and that's what they did. That's what they did. And Chef Ryan was working with us in the kitchen. He is amazing. Taught me how to make fresh pasta. I'll never forget that I taught my friend how to do it. <laughs> I mean, I can, like I said, I can go on and on about it. Um, but that, yeah, that's amazing, though. What a what a wonderful experience and opportunity, and um, you know, the the fact that you were so open to it and open to to practicing until you got those things perfect. That's really a testament to you know getting up early, taking that bus. Um, that's oh, yeah. that's huge. So and and then this led to the job you have now, right? How did that come together? So we uh, ended class December, I want to say December 20th, in, in-person class. And then um, I started my journey on um, trying to find a job. Marla, my career coach, gave me some great leads. She would call me. I mean, if I didn't talk to her within two or three days, she would call me or text me like, uh, how are you doing? This is what I got for you. This is what, you know, we were finding that North County wasn't as um, progressive as um you know, down south San Diego was because it's a little more, it's a little different, you know, out here. Um, and it wasn't as um, hiring and welcoming as, uh, you know, as, as COVID. And I was, you know, I, I know my other apprentices were finding work and I was, again, find myself in a rut and uh, my chefs, they would keep in touch with me, you know, give me those, you know, you can do it talks. I do need that. I, I found a job at a, at a place where I wasn't happy. It was very robotic. It wasn't really challenging me, and I feel like it was this wasn't for me. So my plan was to just stay there until I find something new. And then Marla called me the very next morning and said, "Hey, I met this lady. Her name is Nicole Estrada. My same last name, mind you." Aww. And she told me about Fresh Creations, and I jumped on it. And Nicole called me that very same day. That's amazing. Yeah, and I met with her the very next day, and we sat down and talked for maybe about thirty minutes outside of her establishment. And I just we just hit it off and it's been bliss ever since I gotta admit and so what do you love about this current job it sounds like you're passionate about the foods you're making you know well like I said it's all plant-based foods which I'm finding to be very fond of which I didn't know you know uh-huh. lentils are my friend broccoli is my friend <laughs> you know <laughs> recipes you know uh sauces beauty of cashew cream like just so many things that she's been teaching me um, and I'm just been a sponge there. I have been a sponge there, ex- absorbing everything that I that I'm watching and I'm that I'm lurking. I'm lurking. I'm asking questions. I and it, like I said, those old those good pair of jeans. You know, you just you don't want to let them go. And I just um, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I really I feel it within my heart and my soul and my spirit. Definitely, it's amazing. And and it sounds like the folks at Kitchens for Good really helped tap into all of your strengths that perhaps hadn't been being tapped into in jobs you'd had in the past. Absolutely. I feel like they really studied me and really learned my personality and what I would be good in, maybe what I would not be good in. Um, and I maybe things that I didn't even know about myself, mm. to be honest, you know, and I feel like they start working with you the moment you walk in because they're studying you and they're, you know, what, what you're good at, what you, what you need to work on, you know, they definitely put me somewhere where I can shine and uh, my, my strengths can really be shown. That's amazing. What What do you wish folks like you who are, you know, ah, maybe I should apply for this program, maybe not. What What do you want them to know? You don't know what's what you're capable of unless you try. You really have to take a chance. Uh, you know, there's there's organizations like Kitchens for Good out there who are willing to really help people. Really be open, to, you know, and want you know the want to better your life and and not only get a job but to find a career, to find a long lasting career. You know, to feel happy, get up in the morning and love what you do. 
you know, that's something that uh, Kitchen Spread has given me, you know, they and they took a chance on a guy like me. And uh, and now here I am. I love it. And what do you want uh, listeners? This is a national radio podcast. What do you want listeners to know? How can they help? Well, you can always visit kitchenspreader.org to find out what they're up to, how you can donate. Be open to like confidence. I didn't want to make that call. I didn't want to fill out that application, but I did. And they took a chance on me and I'm, and I just am so thankful for that. Absolutely. Anything else that you want to share about your experience? What about your career path? Do you have different career goals now than you had starting out? Absolutely. My ultimate goal is to have a, my own traveling food truck. Uh-huh. It's always been a dream of mine. Um, what kind of food do you know yet? It's American cuisine, but I'm finding that, you know, because in San Diego, like all the vegan stuff is really popular and I like to cook a little bit of everything, but maybe something really eclectic. I don't know, something different, you know, yeah. so I don't know. We'll, we'll see where that goes. And um, I've been very vocal about that with, with my current executive chef and she said she's willing to help me and we're going to get this done. So Amazing. we're going to do it. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. And a uh, very important question. Do you remember any of the ingredients in that spaghetti that you made your friends that turned you on to the Kitchens for Good program? Spaghetti is one of my favorite things to make. Um, I usually just put the sausage or something in it, but now I put vegetables. I even put broccoli and spaghetti now. Nice. Hers had a, a little bit of kale. It had um, a little bit of cumin, a little bit of red pepper flakes, um, fresh basil. And I do a little hint of, a little, little hint of, I'm going to tell you a secret now, just a little, little, little sprinkle of sugar on top uh-huh. really makes it brings out the tomato flavor and the chunky tomato. So, yeah, San Marzano's only guys only use those <laughs> tomatoes. They are delicious tomatoes. Fantastic. And also, if you want to uh, learn about a really good plant-based service, uh, look up FreshCreations.com. The menu changes every Monday. Um, they got a lot of good deals on there. So there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, you're making me so hungry. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed speaking with you, Tony. Congratulations on your successes. And I can tell just from your passion that that food truck is in your future. Oh, yeah. I'm learning when you speak it into existence, it will come. Absolutely. Congratulations. Way to go. Thank you. So many beautiful success stories. One of our alumni named Becky, who, um, came to Kitchens for Good after really a revolving door of prisons, gangs, and addictions for over 35 years of her life. And at age 45 um, or 50, having never held a full-time job in her life, decided to give this program a try, a um, a little cynical or doubtful perhaps of, of, of the ability for it to, to really work. And, she really put her heart and soul into it when she got here. And since graduating, she got a job at a restaurant called Guajan Grill. And because of her attitude, she has been promoted five times in the last two years and is now serving as the restaurant manager and hires other apprentices and serves as a mentor for other apprentices. She's been able to get out of her sober living home, rent her own apartment, buy her own car, and and she just really um, is so passionate about paying it forward to the next generation of apprentices. So that's just one of many, many examples of beautiful um, 
beautiful full circle stories that I really appreciate. That's incredible. And you mentioned that you stick with these trainees for 17 months after they've completed the program. And that's Mm -hmm. a a long time. That's um, an expense for the organization. How do you support that? And um, I mean, it's incredible. Most nonprofit programs are very short, eight weeks, six weeks. So 17 months of support. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we've we've really had to invest in our staff to provide that ongoing support. So case managers and career coaches and folks that work with our employers. Because what we see is that that line to success that I shared, for example, with Becky is not often that straight, right? You know, there were points in Becky's life where um, she had a housing crisis and wasn't sure where to turn. And we were able to help connect her with other resources. There are points where people are struggling with mental health issues or perhaps they are they lose their job or are ready to move on from their job. A lot can happen over those 17 months. And we want to make sure that this isn't just a, all right, we got you a job, see you later. We're, jobs are good but careers are transformative. Mm. And so to really invest in careers, you've got to invest in that longer term to invest in their ongoing skill development, to support their needs and support a lot of those, um, those things where life happens and emergencies happen and our, and our apprentices rely on us to provide a lot of those wraparound support services. That's incredible. You guys have built such a, depth of programming. And you touched on this earlier, but can you share a little bit more about the environmental side of the work that you do with uh, food rescue? So in the United States, about 40% of all food ends up in the landfill. And from the surface level, this is just a travesty when you consider that one six in San Diego are going, are struggling with hunger. Um, I'm actually right now sitting in my office right now and looking out at our Tuesday distribution and we have 500 cars wrapped around our parking lot Mm. that are picking up meals right now. Mm. And so from just from the social side, the amount of food that's being wasted is a travesty and we need to get it into uh, to the people who need it. But from an environmental side, what people often overlook is food rotting in the landfill is actually a leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions of from the methane that's produced when our food rots in the landfill. And so diverting that food waste is actually really critical as well from an environmental perspective, the greenhouse gas emissions and also not wasting all of the, all of the water and the soil and the resources that went into growing that food. Um, and so w- Kitchens for Good is among a network of a lot of organizations that are working to rescue food. We get our food primarily from wholesalers and farmers. Um, we look for a lot of kind of the bulk bulk produce items, and we turn that into our um, nutritious and delicious meals for our partner organizations. You know, what does this mean to the farmers that you're buying this from? Were, was there a market for that food if Kitchens for Good wasn't coming for it? Um, that's a really good question. So, for example, with the farmers, um, we've previously worked um, with another organization, Produce Good, to pick up a lot of the surplus product at the end of farmers market shifts on Sundays. Because um, for a lot of those farmers, 
they may not have another farmer's market until Wednesday or Thursday of that week. And they don't really want to take this product that's already been picked and store it back at their farm when they may have new, they want to pick the freshest crop. So we're able to kind of, they're, uh, they're able to donate this product to us, get it to people who need it, and they're able to get a tax write-off and not have to schlep it back to their farm. So it can be a real win-win-win. Um, we've also started purchasing that discounted product that maybe there isn't a, de- um, isn't a demand for um, either because of surplus or cosmetic reasons as well. So my next question is, you know, can you share a favorite menu item or recipe that your trainees have cooked in your program? Oh my gosh. It is like, that's like picking your favorite child. Like there's just every day is like a little culinary masterpiece um, that happens in our kitchen. Um, I've had incredible bread and pizza to um, stir fries to um, so many things. I'll just you know, for, for the sake of one answer, I can recall um, way back when, when we started Kitchens for Good, I was a vegetarian. And I can recall um, one of our apprentices coming in being with just so much pride being like, we just made beef wellington for the first time. Will you try it? And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so unbelievably delicious. And um, needless to say, my vegetarian shriek um, kind of ran out when I when we started having apprentices cooking food for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because there's that um, sense of of pride in sharing, right? Uh, that you yeah. want to participate yeah. in. Yeah, and that's it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, what, what's something that you wish people better understood about the work that you do? That's a good question. That's something I wish they better understood. Um, I think just the the complexity of um, helping someone begin a career. Again, it's not just the you train them and you put them into the industry. There's a lot of long-term support, infrastructure, um, networks, employer partners, so many different pieces that go into ensuring that that apprentice is going to be successful in the long run um and so i think that's something that you know we're, we're constantly trying to message to to folks yeah and that's a complicated piece i think um when you're working with humans uh humans are complex and for a nonprofit to take the time to nurture someone for the long haul um that's that's it's incredible and then i also wonder if you could share with listeners, like, how can other folks make a difference? We definitely want them to donate, and we will be posting a link to your website and let folks know how they can do that. But, uh, you know, maybe there is a listener in Illinois or someone in Florida. Uh, What can folks do in their own communities to really make a difference? There's a variety of things. I think that if you're in a position in your business to hire individuals, whether it's I mean, in any type of business, I think looking to see if you can partner with employment organizations like ours to provide that employment opportunity. Um, I think there is so much dignity and um, and compassion in giving someone a job and allowing them to support themselves. So I think that's one thing people can do. Um, and then also, you know, 
volunteer or donate your time or donate your funds um, to support a cause you care about. You know, I'm certainly partial to um, economic empowerment organizations, but I think what matters is that people give and get involved regardless of what type of organization. How has the um, current recession affected your ability to help find some of these folks long-term work, especially in the restaurant industry? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, You know, if you asked me about five months ago, I would have given you a much more panicked answer. (laughs) But um, we're really pleased that at least in San Diego, we're seeing a pretty solid recovery in the hospitality industry. Um, You know, we have a beautiful temperate climate all year round. So we've started you know, most of our restaurants and hotels are open back up. And we've also started to kind of um, venture into other kitchens that may not be as affected, like hospitals and grocery stores and cafeterias and senior living facilities or various, various avenues that are still growing in ways. Um, Really, it's been, it's been, um, We've had to do more of the outreach, whereas employers used to come to us, we have to come to them. But what we still see consistently is that employers are looking for trained individuals with a great attitude, and that's what we can sell. And we can provide that long-term support to employers. So we are continuing to see that um, employers want to work with us. That's amazing. And congratulations again. Um, this has been a really interesting conversation. And, and I just feel like there are so many aspects of our food system that, you know, people don't quite understand as being there. We, we think about our food system as just, you know, the, the farm to the truck to the grocer, but there are people along that, that chain as well. And so the fact that you guys are covering so much of that, um, you know, resilience is such a big word that right now and um last last week we had a guest that talked about resilience in in these times of disaster and and crisis and and I think this is another piece that you know kitchens for good you're building into the food system is the resilience of the employees yeah that's that's really our goal is is helping to support the restaurant industry and helping to support you know our broader community with our meals um, I think there's going to be a lot of different aspects we need to um, recover from the COVID crisis. Um, and we really want to make sure that, you know, those that are furthest on the margins, those coming out of prison and homelessness and foster care are not forgotten about as we as we work to recover our economy. And I know that, um, you know, I'm seeing statistics saying, you know, we need to be planning for the next seven years for these same levels of hunger in our, uh, in our country, let alone what's Mm -hmm. happening globally. And, um, I think programs like yours are going to become much more critical because I, you know, having worked in nonprofit my whole career after the last recession, we saw the economy recover, but the folks who lived in poverty did not gain the benefits of that recovery. We saw actually, in fact, poverty deepen. Um, and so, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that's certainly something that's at the top of my mind as we look to the future and thinking about how are we going to come out of this crisis? What are we going to do to ensure that that levels of poverty don't remain stuck? 
So I think your yeah. solution is is really thinking through those solutions now, early, and I think that's going to be very critical. How are you guys thinking about the the road ahead? Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, we're really doubling down on both parts: the hunger relief and the job training. We relaunched our training in September with our goal to train 140 individuals this year, and our goal is to prepare 275,000 meals this year, which is really a significant increase from prior years. Um, and we don't see this need going away anytime soon. As you mentioned, um, hunger is growing and will continue to grow. Um, folks who, you know, just uh, have spent through their savings, maybe they're still unemployed, maybe they've racked up a lot of uh, credit debt, um, but, you know, so many folks in our community were already on the edge of financial distress, and COVID really um, dug that hole a lot deeper. So mm-hmm. it's really our, our plan and, and understanding that the, the need for this work is going to continue at high levels for the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and thank you for the good work that you're doing, and thank you for, you know, putting together this incredible team of leaders who had the vision to to think through all of these these pieces and, and bring them together in such a meaningful way to, to change your community. And hopefully, um, like you said, there's other models like DC Central Kitchen. We talked to Robert Eggers earlier in the in the season um, at LA Kitchen. And so it's it's very heartening to know that there are some solutions out there and hopefully folks can continue to carry that work forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aviva, and keep up the great work. I'm sure you've got to get out and help with that 500 uh, line of cars around your your building. Keep raising kale out there, Aviva. For sure. Well, thank you for speaking with me, and it's been a pleasure. I love a story with a happy ending. Thank you for listening to this important story about Kitchens for Good. A special shout out to my friend Lindsay Seegers for introducing me to this powerful program and to Aviva and Tony. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. Follow us on social media. Are you a kale raiser? We love discovering stories of kale raisers across America. Share your story with us by texting kale to 73389 or by visiting us at raisingkale.com. I hope you'll also check out my new book, Food Anatomy Activities for Kids. It's a science book where kids get to eat their experiments. They'll learn about leaveners by making bread with yeast. They'll understand how rice grows and experiment by cooking different varieties in the kitchen. Find the book on Amazon now. Links are on our website. Tune in next week as I speak with one of the original kale raisers, Robert Egger. He flips the script on what solving hunger looks like. He describes a visit from President Obama where formerly incarcerated culinary trainees were giving the president instructions in the kitchen. Next time on Raising Kale.